return mission was to announce and in honoring the people of God as requirements for becoming children of God in faith. So the arrival of God's kingdom both confronted with Israel in Jesus' day and, and comforted them after a long period of exile and oppression. The parable goes on to say, among many ways, that Jesus is unwilling to confront Israel with his offer of the kingdom of God. That's why so many of Jesus' parables begin with the claim that the kingdom of heaven is like or contains a phrase, the kingdom. Jesus is offering a kind of commentary on his own mission, clarifying what this offer of the kingdom means to the state at a particular moment in the long drama of Israel's history. Jesus' parables, the Bible Project goes on to say, Jesus' parables are all expressions of his announcement of the arrival of the kingdom of God and the challenge that, that it brought to Israel in his day. They're not to explain general theological explain Jesus' behavior in going about announcing the arrival of the kingdom of God. And they do it in a very cryptic and indirect way that often frustrates them. So what does a balanced reading look like? Again, from the Bible Project, the parables are extended metaphors, symbolic stories with two levels of meaning and a challenge of discerning what symbols are most important. So a balanced approach to reading skill of identification of symbols and non-symbols. So in your classroom session, you want to write these down and read them. Try to remember um, what pairs with the context of the parable, what pairs with the context of the text. So you look for themes and symbols that carry with the context. You find that by the gospel author, that the context is the kingdom of God and not the kingdom of Israel. Number two, First, 
this one, this one without context can be super confusing, right? And uh, all right, guys, I, I know I'm, I'm kind of running here, but I want to kind of pursue this with you guys as well. Um, most of you are probably familiar with the parable, right? Um, the first one is this parable of the dishonest manager. And again, it's super, it can be super confusing when you read it because it can sound like, wow, this is this is just like, did this guy high five and dap or did she dap? Right? Here we go. Luke chapter 16, let's start at verse 1. If you've got your Bible open and you're with me, you're probably sure where we are. He said to his disciples, there was a rich man who received an accusation that his manager was squandering his possessions. So he called his manager in to ask, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your manager because you can no longer be my manager. Then his manager said to himself, what will I do to come after and take his manager away from me? And I thought, sure, I'm going to forgive him. I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I remove my manager, he will give me what will be due my office. So he summoned each of his masters and debtors. How much do you owe my master? He asked the first one. A hundred measures of olive oil, he said. Take your invoice and go sit down here and write a bill. Next, he asked another, how much do you owe? I owe a hundred measures of wheat, he said. Well, take your invoice and go and write down 80. The master praised the unrighteous manager because he had acted prudently. For the children of this age are more important crude than the kingdom of light, which is in the kingdom of Peter. Why not tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of worldly wealth so that when it fails, they may love you. He's challenging these in 
folks who look for ways to cheat the system, that they're too weak or too lazy or too unconcerned to live righteously, so they cheat and they make excuses for their sin. They're shrewd, they're conniving, they're lying, they're twisting the truth. And they get praised for it. Good job, man, that was awesome. The way you cheated your boss, the way you cheated your manager, the way you cheated, that was awesome. That was a real, that was an awesome one.
one the dishonest manager in the parable, and they justified themselves in the sight of others. They cheated, but they made excuses. They stole, but they made excuses. They took from others, but they made excuses. They served money and power above God. Jesus is saying to them, God knows your hearts, and what is highly admired by people is revolting to God. Greed, unrestrained power. It may be admired by people, but it's revolting to God. These Pharisees, these religious hypocrites, were using their position of authority and power to get away with their own wickedness. They used their power and their authority to manipulate the system and the law to justify their own wicked behavior. They used unholy details. They cheated on their tithes and their offerings. They were taking from others. They had built a system of unrighteousness. They had built a system of injustice. They had built a system of unrighteousness, and Jesus calls them out. Any time sinful people create systems to perpetuate their sin, those systems are sinful. Any time a sinful people create systems to perpetuate their own power and wealth, those systems are unjust. It's interesting that people would believe this when they could make deal about sexual sin with others, but people consistently believe this to justify their own wicked behavior. Here's what Jesus is saying. Verse 17, we don't live in law. We don't live in law. He's saying, if you want to compromise with the same God who said that sexual sin is sin, and says that treating others unjustly and being dishonest is sin. Both are wrong. Both are sinful. Nobody likes to be wrong. Good Christians, good Christians don't admit sexual sin I removed them when I saw them. Well, hold on. Wait a minute. 
and unrighteousness and sexual sin and pride and arrogance. Jesus was raised from the dead. What will it take for us to embrace kingdom values? Let's read this passage. Paul, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus is simply our sin being 
Not by strength of our might, 